0: Hey, everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. This week, I'm going to bring you a conversation we had from Device Talks Boston. I'll get into the details later on, but it was a great session put on by Stryker. We talked a lot about uh, digital medtech, about the inclusion of data, and uh, I think we're going to be talking about that a lot. Uh, we've got a lot of great episodes coming up, uh, episodes of the podcast. I'll be talking with Fractal, I'll be talking with Moon Surgical, I'll be talking with Boston Scientific. I'll be talking with Cala Health, HeartFlow, many, many more. We've got a great lineup of, uh, of episodes coming to you over the summer. So uh, make sure you're subscribed, and ready to go. Have a cold drink, ready by your lounge chair on Friday evenings and uh, enjoy device talks weekly. Next, uh, speaking of wireless medical devices and connectivity, we're going to have a device talks Tuesday. This Tuesday brought to you by Intertech on regulatory and cybersecurity requirements. For wireless medical devices, go to devicetalks.com to register for that and our other upcoming Device Talks Tuesdays episode. And finally, of course, registration is open for Device Talks West. That is happening on October 19th and 20th. Got some great keynotes lined up already. I'll be putting together an agenda, uh, have an early agenda up for you in a couple of weeks. But uh, if you'd liked Boston or heard about Boston from some of your colleagues who attended, do not miss out on Device Talks West. It's going to be just as great. So go to devicetalks.com to register for that. Now let's get this episode started. All right, you ready for this? Ready.
1: Woo-hoo!
0: Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? be here tom how you doing man i'm doing well i think i'm ready to fly into the danger zone chris i need me to see that top gun movie oh yeah, yeah. no kidding. yeah what do you think have you seen it yet
2: haven't seen it yet but you know good reviews i mean you know a lot of sentimentality in it I, I i hear but hey why not you know yeah.
0: we, we should we watched the uh the original with my sons for 16 and 12 and about every 10 minutes they would just look at us like really like just 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 watch it just watch it just watch it but it doesn't hold up i mean for us because we the sentimentality as you said nostalgia but uh but uh i'm told the new one's a good movie and we're you know i um
2: you know i when we were on a vacation to la a few years ago we saw the beach house where uh where tom cruise you know did the really yes wow is it blocked off as a quarter is it a museum museum of hot guys it's just a it's just a house in the middle of the Paramount Studios lot. <laughs> oh, no, there wasn't even a beach there. It's oh. just, I mean, they, we're just doing the tour of the studio and they're like, oh, and this is the house. Like, I'm like, oh, like, wow. Like, yeah. And they put stuff behind it, you know, like, you know, digital, whatever, you know, wizardry or whatever. Wow.
0: OK, well, that's pretty, exciting.
2: Pretty, uh, pretty wild. Like, yeah. I mean, there's it was- also a parking lot there where uh, Charlton Heston parted the Red Sea. <laughs> they they said that they um they actually flooded the parking lot in front of him while he was dressed as moses and then they just played the film backwards in the movie shut up no that's exactly what they did wow <laughs> well see that's kind of they, cool they're flooding a parking lot <laughs> in front of him. isn't the isn't the movie business
0: great that is amazing <laughs> isn't wow it? actually <laughs> Let's end the podcast right here. I shall
2: part the party
0: because <laughs> <laughs> there's a Starbucks on the other side, and I really need a latte. I need my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to look more closely yes. when I if I watch that movie again to see if you can see any uh, any parked cars. That gets, I guess I assume they <laughs> emptied the, the park
2: <laughs> Yeah, they probably. there's probably a memo around the studio. That's right. Like, Do not park. Car- Parking lot today, we're doing the, the parting the Red Sea
0: shot. <laughs> Amazing, this is just yes. so informative! Uh, and I'm also watching the uh, you watched the Obi Wan series on uh, on uh, Disney.
2: I have not yet. I'm just, I'm kind of getting It's like, really, is there going to be like a series for every <laughs> Chewbacca? The real story <laughs> <laughs> starts out as when he's a little whatever they were, like a wookie Cub. It was a, yeah, w- I
0: guess, probably a Cub. I would go with Cub, cub yeah. yeah. Cub. Uh, Chewbacca would actually be a pretty good series. <laughs> yeah, Obi Wan is fine. <laughs> What sound would his dad have made? Like, <laughs> <holds up> the- <laughs> I think you need to stop doing that. You're breaking the zoom lines. <laughs> All right, <leaving>. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no Wookiee sounds on the podcast. So there, there obi be one. Is I hear you. I hear ya. I, I I, I'm, you. I'm as I'm talking, I'm realizing I'm, I'm living a lot of my, my life in nostalgia zone, but uh, everyone's oh, worth, worth streaming someday if you got a rainy afternoon for sure. All right, well, anyway. Let's fast forward to the year 2022. Felt, yes. Do we have to? Yeah. Right, let's, can we just stay back? <laughs> we will we will we will definitely skip over 2020 and 2021 because those yeah, weren't very good but
2: 2022 Forget those years yeah. well, here we are 2022
0: specifically the week of whatever we're at the, the day of june 10th 2022 let us uh let's see what the new markers newsmakers were for for that here we go time.
2: yeah stardate i don't know anyway <laughs> um yes so Number five on the New Markers Newsmakers is uh, that uh, Smith and Nephew, um, you know, they've been they've had a a R&D location in uh, the British city of Hall for uh, over 100 years. And they actually started in Hall in 1856. Wow. Wow. But they are uh, going to be uh, moving outside of the city, eight miles, building a new R&D and manufacturing uh, facility that's expanded uh, eight miles away at the uh, Melton West Business Park. Um, More than a hundred million dollar project. UK government supporting it. Um, Yeah, they just basically couldn't find uh, any, any, they said they couldn't find any place uh, inside Hall that was large enough for uh, what their, their needs were. So, I mean, it definitely seems like a good good win for uh, the United Kingdom that, you know, this really important, you know, medical device companies of theirs is going to be, you know, keeping all these operations, all these hundreds of jobs in that region. But, you know, just kind of a kind of interesting thing that, you know, they, you know, like, you know, Smith and Nephew is very closely tied with uh, the city of of Hall and they they won't be uh, like in inside that city now.
0: Okay. All right. Well, we're not too far moving. I'm looking at the uh very kind of you to put a a, a image of uh of the UK uh, with the article and I see Hall is roughly the same uh the same longitude or latitude. Anyway. Latitude just- just east of Manchester and Liverpool go. so it's up uh, up in the middle just, part of the just, aisle
2: yeah exactly kind of the middle part of the aisle uh you know kind of kind of on the other side from from uh from Liverpool so uh you know they uh, yeah it's just like a really uh you know like, like I, I think I was reading one article saying like when you're uh, heading into hall you can you know see the big stuff the nephew signs so oh, you know, okay. it's uh, it's definitely uh you know you know part of the community kind of kind of reminds me of how You know, the stories around here, like, I mean, 3M, you know, decided a while back they had to move out of St. Paul and they headed out to to Maplewood, you know, so they get more space. Mm -hmm. It's kind of kind of feels like that same. You know, we still associate 3M with St. Paul. I'm I'm sure you'll still, you know, Smith and Nephew still going to have a connection with the city of Hall, but they're just not not inside it anymore.
0: Well, moving is is never easy. So if anyone has (laughs) boxes, uh, Smith and Nephew may be looking for boxes. Yeah. Send them some cardboard boxes or, you know. (laughs) Let's take a minute to bring in our episode sponsor, Flexan. Flexan is a global contract manufacturer and assembler. I had the opportunity to speak with Mike Huris. Mike is Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Flexan. In our conversation, Mike told me how Flexan has been working with OEM. Specifically, we talked a bit about Flexicution. Let's listen.
3: Um, and it really is you know, three elements of our business. So the first is design, develop, and deliver. The design portion is, uh, from a commercial perspective, you know, we're picking the right partners where there is a strong need for our services. And it's really important up front to align those needs with our capabilities and most importantly, our experiences. And um, once we engage with uh, customers, we understand what their manufacturing needs, whether it's new product development or it's a manufacturing transfer. And that allows us to then get the rest of the organization and do a comprehensive overview of what that solution would look like. And especially in today's environment, given the, the stringent quality requirements, especially if you dealing with a class three and component, as well as the ever-changing uh, environment with, uh, within the regulatory space. So having that upfront engagement and really understanding the needs before you even get to the economics is absolutely critical. And if you do that really well and you build those experiences and you build that working relationship because it is a working relationship as an extension of their organization. We found that to be really the recipe for success with us. Obviously great communication, achieving timelines, achieving cost targets, uh, and making sure, you know, that service aspect of it is really uh, addressed. You know, that makes for a few really fruitful relationship because they're counting on us. Our customers are counting us to really be an extension of their organization, as I mentioned, but to really deliver. And um, so if we do that well, there's certainly uh, more opportunity to grow within that relationship. And and that's really been a successful model for us.
0: Excellent. Thanks, Mike Curious, for joining us on the podcast. And thank you, Flexant, for sponsoring this episode of the device talks weekly podcast if you want more information about flexan go to flexan.com that's f-l-e-x-a-n.com <laughs> let us roll on to, to number four to uh, chris's new obsession ge healthcare i imagine man ge healthcare is you know <laughs> a lot of news
2: and you know they're uh, including like their. You know, doing a lot of stuff with Medtronic now. So, but uh, their uh, their their latest news, which you know got some attention on Mass Device for sure, was that they've got a, a new intelligent workload. Sorry, intelligent you know, Shelly cell seashells. But <laughs> new intelligent workload management. I am sorry, go ahead. Worklord. <laughs> <laughs> they have the workload for the a new workload <laughs> management solution for the for radiologists. Uh, you know, the new software platform for its uh, PAX solutions, uh, integrated with uh, QIT's uh, Helix Radiology Performance Suit. Uh, so they just unveiled this at the uh, Society for Imaging Informatics and in Medicine. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it operates on predictive analytics, optimizes radiologists' workflow, Across the entire ent- enterprise, the idea is like to get more more efficiency, more productivity. Um, you know, I, you know, we're seeing a lot of these types of products, like trying to make healthcare uh, more uh, efficient. And uh, and talking about that, it's not on the newsmakers this week, but um, wow, Oracle, um, you know, some interesting, you know, news out of Oracle as they're closing this multi billion dollar acquisition of Cerner. Um, they're really heading into the electronic record space.
0: Absolutely, and you sat in on the call yesterday, right? Any uh, any quick takeaways?
2: Yeah, I sat in a little a little bit on their call. Um, you know, caught the beginning of it. I mean, they had Larry Ellison, uh, you know, talking about um, really ambitious plans with it. I mean, he just he wants to. I mean, it's a huge problem in the U.S. The fact that you know, okay, like I've got my primary care doctor and the health system I interact with a lot, and they've got all my records, and you know, they can say if you know, as long as I stick to that hospital system, they know what I'm all about. Um, but you know, if they wheel me into another system. Um, for whatever reason, um, you know, they really don't know much about me. And, you know, and it's kind of wild when you have to go into a different hospital and they're asking you just like a bazillion questions when you're in a health emergency. And uh, Ellison's like, hey, you know, I think, you know, we're going to create a national, you know, electronic health record for uh, for everybody, you know, where, you know, basically, you know, your health record gets automatically uploaded whenever you interact with a health provider to a national system. And, you know, it's not like every health provider can just access it automatically, but you go in somewhere else, uh, if you get them permission, they can access all your records, you know, and so that's, that's his goal. There are, you know, different big companies that uh, provide different EMRs across the country. So I, I to me like it's going to be a huge challenge for them to, you know, do this. I mean, he, he, He bought Cerner, their big one, but I mean, you you go over to Wisconsin next door, you got Epic.
0: Yeah, Cerner's been going through an interesting time and I actually uh, decided to bring in an expert. So I did connect with Keith Figlioli. He is a general partner at a venture firm called LRV Health. And uh, Keith has spent his career in uh, the healthcare, sort of, payer information side so uh he brings a, an interesting perspective and understanding of, of this space so uh, let's uh, let's listen to this interview i did with keith figlioli who is uh also the host of a podcast that i helped start a couple of years ago so nice all right well, i'm here with keith figlioli of lrv health keith thanks for uh, for joining us today to talk about this this big deal
4: Absolutely,
5: I like this. I'm coming on your podcast now.
0: I know, I know, Keith. And I, uh, Keith, started his uh, healthcare is hard, a podcast for insiders, uh, many years ago now, and uh, still happy to contribute to that one. But uh, happy to have you here at my house. And uh, for, before we get into the Cerner Oracle deal, I, I, because I, 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 I need a better understanding of that. Tell folks a little bit about uh, LRV Health. What, do, what do you do there?
5: Sure, LRV Health is a sort of think of it as you know, exclusively focused on healthcare and exclusively focused on working. With the incumbents to think about disruption and allocating capital into the venture markets mm-hmm. on their behalf, and so we have a number of we have twenty four different strategic partners that cover about two hundred million Americans around the country that either are part of payers or part of actually health systems where they get their care that also are strategic partners, um, and and so we've been doing this since two thousand. We've done about sixty plus investments in sort of disruptive companies that are helping sort of fundamentally change the ecosystem and move to sort of the next place in terms of overall healthcare transformation.
0: And you folks invest both in digital health and healthcare uh, startups, but also in medtech as well.
5: We do. So we do um, a little bit of uh, the majority of where we invest is sort of what we call tech-enabled services. We do a little bit of healthcare IT only. um, And then we also do a little bit of device and diagnostics, which, you know, to your point, medtech.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. And for the last bit of context, you came into this or come into the conversation with the background with uh, Premier, you were in Premier for a time, but uh, how would you classify your the time spent in your career on the payer side, on the uh, on the supplier side?
5: Yeah, I would say a little bit of everything in the ecosystem, but most of my operating executive roles over the last two decades has been... Um, at very large companies. So to your point, Premier is one of the executives there for a long time. So it's kind of in the middle of kind of health systems, the government and the suppliers, obviously a lot of med tech and, and other players like that. Um, and then before that was in the electronic health record space. And so spent a lot of time with, with Eclipsis before that ended up getting transacted to all
0: scripts back, back a bit ago. Great. So now we know where you're coming from and, and the background you bring, which is why I, I reached out to you to kind of help us understand what the Cerner Oracle uh, or Oracle's acquisition of Cerner means. So what was the what what does this deal provide for for Oracle?
5: Yeah, I think on the face of it, I mean, it's been a lot of you know, as you know, there's a lot of general press, tech press because it's Oracle, and there's a lot of healthcare IT press because it's Cerner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on the face of it, you know, since Neil, the founder of Cerner, one of the founders of Cerner uh, has died, you know, Cerner has been sort of working through sort of a broader strategy um, outside of not just competing head to head with Epic, but also thinking about um, different vectors of growth. And, And they've spent a lot of time recently, you know, putting together what I think is a pretty comprehensive strategy around sort of RWE, real evidence, um, working with MedTech, but also working with other um, you know, biotech and pharma players. And I've created a new brand called Cerner and Visa that sort of culminates a lot of that work. I actually think this hasn't been talked about a lot in the press, but I think it's one of the big gems, growing gems from a high growth standpoint that Cerner was highly attracted to. I'm sorry, Oracle was highly attracted to mm-hmm. it. I think why Oracle is highly attracted to it is if you get underneath Oracle's healthcare business, their industry vertical and in healthcare historically, the majority of their dominance has been in the life science sector. Um, they do, you know, a little bit in sort of what I call traditional health system and traditional payer. Um, but, I, you know, I, my understanding is, you know, and this is a little bit dated maybe, but uh, that they have a lot of sort of iron, if you will, their iron and their cloud, Sort of really deep in the life science sector um, so I think that's an interesting kind of play that people probably are not talking about on the base Cerner business, I think the other thing Cerner's done an incredible job on is they've they've created a very highly profitable, very accretive core business in their clinical and and um, software business mm-hmm. and I think that helps the bottom line of Cerner so like one of the headlines on the closing of this week was how accretive so both Larry the CEO of Oracle and the head of industries, uh, the EVP of industries at Cerner, I saw quoted saying how highly accretive Cerner is going to be to Oracle. Um, so I think it's probably that combo play. If I'm a corporate executive at Oracle, thinking, "Hey, I can have a really accretive exact, uh, acquisition on the bottom line because they have a stable core base of business, and then I have potentially a high growth business tied in with our our pharma and med tech business in terms of what we're trying to do there."
0: Mm-hmm. So, what does this mean for for Cerner? Going forward, I mean, there's Cerner, there's Epic. Those have really been the two big players. Uh, does this change change the rankings at all? Does this give Cerner the ammunition needs to make a run? How how does this change the landscape over the next couple of years?
5: Yeah, I don't I don't know if it changes that much. I think first question is is how do these businesses get integrated? Right, the yeah. other big acquisition, uh, big number acquisition. This is the second. This is now the largest takeout of a pure healthcare player. Before that was Microsoft's acquisition of Nuance. Mm-hmm. And so that nuance team now is taking on and and staying whole and owning the entire Microsoft healthcare st- strategy, from what I understand. So I think the same thing could happen here. You know, you have David Feinberg, who was an insider CEO of Geisinger for a while and then went over at Google after that, but he could end up getting the reins of a good portion of the entire healthcare vertical for Oracle. Because what I think what the big tech folks have realized, because they've tried this a couple of times, is you need insiders. You know, you need people who really understand the space to drive the right types of strategies and to gain the trust mm-hmm. of the various providers and payers that are in the market. So I don't, I think it'll be interesting. I think it's too early yet. I don't know yet. Um, you know how they're going to fully think about integrating it in David's role, and the rest of the team's role. Um, but it may be more of the same. I, I think you know one side piece on this, just going head to head with Epic. I mean, this might be more fodder for Epic, right? As a big tech player comes in, they get tied up in integration. Mm-hmm. You know, Epic has been on a roll, taking out Cerner sites in the market on the provider side. You know, pretty consistently at the top end of the market. I think Cerner has held their own in the middle of the market, uh, but most, almost every major academic center, most almost every major, you know, large IDM, with the exception of a very few, are are either running Epic or have decided to transition. I mean, there was a big holdout in Florida, Advent Health. It was a huge Cerner co-development shop. And uh, over the last year, year and a half, they made the decision to switch over to Epic.
0: So, as data becomes more important for the med tech companies, does does this will this impact medical device companies at all who are trying to acquire data wherever they can to make their devices perform better than they have been, or to create new devices that, that do an even better job?
5: Yeah, I think I think people are now going to have a pretty big footprint. Uh, on the medtech side, to potentially go talk with people like Cerner and their mm. and, and their then and their unit, uh, their Envisa unit in this space, to sort of think about that extraction. I mean, I, you know. Five years ago, this wasn't even an option for people. Mm-hmm. And now it's a pretty big option for people to be thinking about that type of stuff. So I think you'll start seeing more strategic relationships even be struck between kind of, you know, what is the Cerner Oracle side and the, and and a lot of large med tech companies.
0: Excellent. Anything I'm missing here? My head's spinning a bit from all from all this data talk. And, it, and it all, it's all this stuff that sort of happens in a world that I'm not... Quite familiar with so any any uh, important elements that, that we should know about going forward or anything about this deal that's going to uh, gonna create some good or bad
5: no, I just think it's it's like you know it's always about intent and what are these the, what are these huge you know technology conglomerates Really, really want to do in healthcare, you know, it either really, really works or it doesn't, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's way too early to tell to see how this stuff plays out. I mean, even for Microsoft and Nuance, I mean, Nuance has got a dominant, you know, almost a monopoly in voice in voice enablement of healthcare, and you know part of the Oracle uh, stack right now is they've got a lot of voice stuff, emerging voice stuff as well. And so you got a lot of these vectors that are the same but all these big tech players. And it's like, who's going to dominate what area once these things start get gobbled up by some of the big tech players? I think it's still TBD and you still have Amazon and you still have Google out there too that kind of had played, you know, Google went to where they should have gone, right? They went and bought Fitbit um, and they played much more on the consumer side of it, the equation, but they're doing a lot of enterprise healthcare stuff now. So mm-hmm. it's just an interesting kind of like, if you, if you think about the software side of, of clinical delivery and other things like that, it's it's becoming more of a utility. And the utility is then being powered by the biggest tech players in the world.
0: Well, it's great to finally have you on my podcast, Keith. Thanks uh, thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, Tom. And we're back. All right, Chris, let's roll into number three on the New Markers Newsmakers.
2: You know, number three on the list, we had, uh, you know, Johnson Johnson's Ethicon uh, launching their uh, next-gen uh, surgical stapler, the uh, Echelon 3000, and uh, this is uh, it's digitally enabled, you know, and it's uh, supposed to provide surgeons with a simple one-handed powered articulation. Really, sound like a lot of the descriptions of this uh, next-gen surgical staplers is is just providing like you know greater jaw aperture, more articulation, um, you know, really uh, helping you know surgeons basically just you know get in there better and get the job done and get you know done more you know accurately and efficiently um this story it, it's you know it's it's interesting uh you know it surprised me that it, it got hundreds of, of views on on mass device this week but at the same time you know it's i think it's like, just a good reminder that i mean we talk about these some of these technologies that sound really you know, robots
0: and, uh, right renal derivation and all
2: innovation you know but you know what a better su- surgical stapler is uh that, that can make a difference.
0: That, that can make a difference every single day. And I know you reached right. out. You tried to connect with Tom O'Brien, the worldwide president of Endomechanical at, at the Con. He was not available this week, but.
2: Sounds like they're interested in him talking, you know, to us, uh, you know, in the next week or two. So we right. get an get interview going, because I definitely would like to hear more, you know, from from him about, uh, you know, like, you know, how this you know, basically, hopefully, like save more lives. You know, like reduce complications. Mm-hmm. Just, Great. just make things better.
0: We'll work to get that on a future episode. uh yeah. brought, brought to you by Work Lord Chris Newmarker. Work Lord. <laughs> this is a new I mean, nickname.
2: We do, we do work at a company where you know the initial staff are willing to work hard. That's
0: right. Now, That's right.
2: I will take that. I am a, a work work lord. <laughs> <laughs> Do I get any like? Do I get knighted? Is there some ceremony like becoming the work lord? Uh, we will we will yeah. give you
0: uh we will give you a black cape and, and helmet that uh, <laughs> <The> helmet <laughs> amplifies your breathing.
2: Wow, that sounds like well, some... the work lord of Sith. <laughs> like...
0: <laughs> <laughs> Where is my article? As right.
2: long as I don't have to go through what he went through to get, no, get there. No, to, we you know, no, we won't No, we won't set you on volcano. fire. I know. <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> yes, Tom, please don't set me on fire. <laughs> what is number two
0: on the yes. market speed maker? <laughs> Moving on.
2: <laughs> oh goodness! Uh, you know, this was uh, this was kind of interesting too that it got a lot of attention on a mass device again. So I mean, it's 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 it's, it's uh, you know it's 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 amazing. You know, I've been um, you know here. Uh, I've, you know, I've been. You know, in, in charge of medical design outsourcing for you know six years. I've been you know here, really paying attention to mass device. You know, as executive editor for now, like gosh, almost three years. Wild, time flies by. Um, but uh, I still get like surprised by like what you know what interests our audience, which I, I think is great. I'm like still learning. Um, but. You know, this article, this was like Medtronic announcing a new uh, chief medical officer for the neuromodulation unit. And actually, this, I mean, this makes sense because, um, you know, neuromodulation is, is just such a hot space. I mean, we've just seen this trend over the last decade of, you know, taking the technology that we have with pacemakers and applying it to other parts of the body to the you know nervous system and the brain and uh you know they uh they they're bringing in uh, dr ashwani Sharan as their uh, chief medical officer and uh you know he uh you know before joining the company he, he was president of the Congress of neurological surgeons in the North American neuromodulation society so um you know I I, I suspect he knows a lot about neuromodulation
0: <laughs> i'm guessing He's running he, the
2: society for uh, it. <laughs> I'm guessing
0: he brings a pretty healthy Rolodex and yes. an understanding of the space yeah so we'll, I
2: think he. Yeah, I think it's a very. It's, it looks like a very prestigious hire, so it's, it's good. Good for Medtronic.
0: And we'll we'll be talking about uh, Medtronic's Neuromod and Boston Scientific potentially too at uh, Device Talks West. So uh, Brett very Wall, cool. who is uh, who's the head of that group, will be there giving a, a presentation. So uh, excited to have uh, it's it covered at Device Talks West. And I'm glad this news is getting uh, getting attention. Uh neuromodulation yeah. is a fascinating space, and uh, it's only going to get more and more interesting.
2: I I suspect we'll have Dr. Sharon on uh, a future, you know, device talks weekly or a a Medtronic talk. So very cool.
0: From your lips, my friend. (laughs) Let's see what that happens. All right, let's, number one. Number one is a cool one. Let's let's roll to number one.
2: Yeah, number one on the list. Uh, we've got uh, yeah, you know, we've we've got a, a new up and coming player here in the uh, robotic uh, surgery space. It's uh, Moon Surgical. Uh, you know, based out of Paris and San Francisco. Um, you know, they uh, announced uh, over the past week that they've raised uh, over thirty one. Million dollars, uh, you know, getting getting money from HT Healthcare Capital Partners and participation from Johnson Johnson Innovation, um, you know, and uh, some other you know medtech leaders uh, throwing in, uh, you know, some uh, some funding into the uh, company. Um, they've got, uh, you know, they're they're developing their uh, Maestro here, they, their Maestro robotic surgery system.
0: I did talk with uh, Steve Osterly, formerly of Medtronic, uh, for a podcast episode in a couple advisor of weeks. Advisor
2: to the company, yeah,
0: advisor advisor to the company. Company into one of the investors, Cafe Help, uh, yeah. Cafe, Cafe Health, rather, a venture firm, and another based.
2: advisor who you know definitely you know you know got my attention, Dr. Fred Moll.
0: Dr. Fred Moll, yeah, he yeah. is uh, he is very interested in this technology as well. And as Steve Ostley uh, described it to me, it's really a system that. If you're performing a procedure where you need to have a, a, a device or or, or a, a tool held in a certain way while it's in the body, up the way it's done now is you have a resident with you or or a, an assistant or a nurse hold it in place while the surgeon's working. This will be a system that'll be hanging overhead and it'll have certain haptic and, and memory placement technology, and that's my term, not his. But it can hold something in place. Uh wow, that's great. Uh, so a surgeon can do their job and the surgeon can can move it easily on their own. So it's really going to be having like rather than a robotic surgeon, it's like more having a robotic resident, like someone in oh, like a, a helper in place. So we can save on manpower. Uh it can make surgeries easier and quicker. So uh he's very very Fantastic. excited about this technology. So we will have Steve Osterley on a future podcast as well as Anne I was away the CEO of Moon Surgical. I'm Fantastic. going to talk to her next week. Yeah, so it should be uh, should be interesting. That comes from she was a she was a partner at Sofinova's MedTech Accelerator MD Start, and now she is a CEO of the company. So yeah. wow, that's great stuff.
2: People, I tell you, they're coming on the show. I say this is the place to be.
0: <laughs>
2: you're not cool she- if you're not coming on here.
0: Hi, everyone. Tom here. As I'm uh, sure I've told you in the past, at Device Talks Boston, we invited several larger OEMs to uh, give presentations and panels, and it was very successful. We'll be doing the same thing at Device Talks West. The uh, panel that ended day one in Boston uh, was by Stryker, and it's called With New Tools, Technologies, and Strategies, Stryker is Advancing Digital Healthcare. I wanted to share the audio from that presentation. The conversation was led by Spencer Stiles, who's group president of orthopedics and spine at Stryker. It included... Uh, Sid Satish, the Vice President of Digital Innovation for Surgical Technologies, formerly of Gauss, which was acquired by Stryker. Dave Lively, who is now a Senior Vice President of Product Management, formerly of Sarah, which is now part of Stryker. Robert Cohen, President of Digital Robotics and Enabling Technologies at Stryker. And Tracy Robertson, who is Vice President of Digital at Stryker. We're going to run through sort of the opening questions Uh of the panel. And uh, I will sort of take a break in between each to introduce the speaker so you can understand, uh, just recognize voices and, and know who's talking. And then toward the end, we'll just sort of uh, let the rest of the discussion play. It was a, a really uh, great conversation about where strikers headed, about the uh, the inclusion of data and in tech into MedTech, about the challenges that provide uh, I'm sorry. The challenges that uh, that arise, and uh, it was a very good good conversation. Which, of course, is why I'm sharing with you. And uh, some good conversations or good points made later on about bringing disruptive technologies to uh, to large organizations. So this first segment is uh, Spencer Stiles, and again, he's group president, and he'll just talk uh, give a little bit of intro of how uh, how Striker is uh, looking at uh, data and medtech. <laughs>
4: a little bit
6: about our operating model we've historically been a fiercely decentralized organization i i ran into a few striker alumni in the audience here they remember this we wake up totally focused around a specialized care provider Uh, and that has served us very well for decades and decades however uh, as the world has evolved and changed, now technology is shifting how we think about this. It's a common language that holds across all these specialties, is data, is the way a customer interfaces with our technology. So how do we create an environment and a user experience that's similar? Uh, and we really even think about it as a language. You know, we speak all different languages at Striker, but digital is an agnostic common language across the world. The ones and zeros show up in China as they do right here in Boston. And so thinking about how to service that uh, is really important to us. Maybe one of the big steps we've more recently taken is centralize some of the technology in our company and leadership under an entity we call DRE, Digital Robotics and Enabling Technology, where we have leadership positions, leadership in hard tissue robotics with our flagship product, Mako. Uh, a lot of the enabling technologies with tracking, guidance, imaging, navigation, and really on the front side of digital, collecting information, putting in a cloud, making sense of it, creating value back to our customers. And you'll hear about that today. So with a little context uh, of our expertise, uh, and again, a long way to go, I thought I'd turn over to some of the exciting questions we have lined up for our panelists today. So
0: our first speaker is Tracy Robertson. Again, she's vice president of Digital at Striker. Interesting. She joined the company last year. She previously had been at Kimberly Clark. Before that, she was at GE. So she's coming into med tech with a fresh perspective. In this clip, and you'll hear Spencer Styles ask the question. He opened up asking the panelists what uh what compelling trends they're seeing in technology. So uh, let's hear from Tracy Robertson, Vice President of Digital at Stryker. I
1: think the one that I think about the most is the, in the area of product security and privacy. And I'm sure many of you are, are probably in the same boat. Um, as we continue to evolve and expand our mobile offerings, our ecosystem of customers is expanding. Uh, we're spending more time with IT, uh, legal, C suite, security, and one of their top concerns is product security and privacy. Um, unfortunately, healthcare is plagued with. Um, Constant cyber attacks and ransomware attacks, and uh, it is not slowing down. And more than any other industry, they are at the top. And one of the reasons for that is uh, you know, private pri- uh, patient data is worth a lot of money, uh, more so than. Huh other data, private data, such as social security or credit card data. So um, we're, what we're going to see there is, and we already are, is a lot more government regulations, uh, which is really going to fundamentally change how, how we operate and design products through product lifecycle development. Um, probably more customer scrutiny, we're already seeing that, and maybe more hesitancy in data sharing and connectivity. In the network and so you know as med tech providers i think we have a huge responsibility to do everything we can to protect our devices and the data that customers share with us that's a big responsibility and we take that very 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 seriously so this is one that is constantly evolving and i think um is uh is not going to slow down
0: all right. Our next speaker is Robert Cohen, president of digital robotics and enabling technologies at Stryker. He was actually part of Mako when Stryker acquired it back in 2014. So he joined Stryker at that time. And uh, he is clearly excited about uh, what's coming next in uh, in technology, in robotics. So uh, let's hear from Robert Cohen, president of digital robotics and enabling technologies at Stryker.
7: Well, I'll tell you, it's a, changing, uh, it's a changing world. When you do this for, for as long, and I've, I've come from Mako surgical, I've worked in total joints, implants, things like that, spine, sports medicine, lots of different places. I can tell you, this is the most exciting time. And if you're in the world of technology and innovation, even though it's complex, it's exciting. And why? You look at some of the disruption in the marketplace and you look at where these disruptors are coming from. The disruptors are coming from not necessarily meta. They're coming from many, many different places and we have to pay attention to that. And while we pay attention to that, as Striker, it's no longer just a metal and plastic in a box type company. What we do is we have to look now for what's meaningful beyond that. You don't minimize that, but now only adding a parts. So for instance, improved outcomes. Now, industry was asked to contribute with data to help a physician, maybe personalized medicine for a specific patient to understand what to do with an implant, and where to put an implant. What about quality of care? Quality dashboards now. What about safety, patient safety, fall detection, all those kind of things? Those are in the procedures that Stryker actually participates in. And then we can get into economics, we can get into hospital efficiency, we can get to inventory efficiency, and it's remarkable. Just think of the four big companies right now that you would not necessarily thought would be influencing us in med tech. Look at Alphabet and Google and all that they're doing with electronic health records. Look at how interoperability and things like that is now partially solved, but electronic health records can now be put into databases and be queried. Look at what Amazon's doing. Everyone here should think that Amazon is going to disrupt the supply chain and distribution models. That may actually help us from an inventory management perspective. Look at what Apple's done with an iPhone and wearables. Data that we do not have to define ourselves, but data that we have access to, now we can incorporate into the big picture. Look at things like Microsoft, cloud services. Now hospitals have access to cloud services and people to help them understand it and then you have the small companies look at some of the small company disruptors think of these small companies just focus on diagnostics for a second it's remarkable what some of these small companies have done with ultrasound imaging mri ct scans and the insights they've gotten with artificial intelligence so companies like striker doesn't matter how you are around for 80 years if you're slow you're going to lose You have to look at product development in completely different ways. You cannot have this waterfall effect of development that we're typically used to for decades old in this industry. We as an industry have to look at partnerships with hospitals differently, partnerships with digital uh, companies differently. You don't have to do it all inside. The secret formula is how to figure out which companies you partner with, what to go after first, and agility is an absolute must. We need to accelerate and we need to move fast, and we've formed with that, Striker
0: and ways to do that. All right. The next speaker I would like to introduce is Sid Satish. He is Vice President of Digital Innovation for Striker Technologies. Uh, Sid was a co founder of a company called Gauss that he'll describe a little bit later. Striker just acquired that uh, last year and, and adds a, uh, a real new element to its digital surgery strategy. So, in this first clip, Sid will tackle the uh, important issues he's seeing in the technology industry.
8: You know, I'd say one of the big technologies that obviously brought you know, MetaStriker and my company Gauss uh, was, was computer vision and, and the associated technologies of machine learning, deep learning, uh, so-called AI. And what's, what's kind of interesting being you know, at a much larger company now is that we just went from having what I call like an edge sensor. You know, we have iPhones and iPads of Gauss. They're just data collection tools that are made by you know, Apple, and then there's there's Apple. And what it's kind of exciting when you get a big company. Is now you have access to 80, 90 devices that all are collecting very interesting types of data. There's many, many cameras and other visual sources of data, and there's now processing at the edge. So on-premise processing. You don't have to rely on the cloud. Uh, per se to to run these powerful algorithms or to train these algorithms. So what we're really excited about as a new class of technology is as you start to connect these multiple devices across the continuum of care, and you can start to mine those data feeds that are coming off those devices, Um, processing is now possible to the point where you can deploy these computer vision and machine learning algorithms in very different ways, and there really will be a little bit of AI almost in every part of our business. And, you know, we were on a panel this morning with a few excellent innovators. Uh, I think every single one of these companies is doing some sort of visualization or algorithmic processing with images and video. Uh, you're starting to see multimodal uh, algorithms, something where you're, you're, you're learning not just from video, but also from sound and from other signals that were capture off of these systems. So you know, my bet is that AI is going to be a foundational piece of technology in medicine for the next several decades, it's just going to take over more and more and more. Initially as clinical decision support but ultimately you're going to start to see parts of these procedures be automated uh, in in ways that truly reduce variability, improve outcomes, reduce costs Uh, and companies like Striker really are leading the way because we have so many of these interesting data streams to work from and the more data you have with the more specific clinical use cases and really insane customer focus, you can start to really Develop those individual applications uh, with AI that sort of meet the needle. So that's kind of why I'm excited about um, Stripe in particular, but also what I believe is, is one of like the bigger trends.
0: And just a quick follow up. Uh, Spencer Stiles asked Sid to give a little bit of history of Gauss so we'll hear about how Gauss came together. So,
8: so originally, I mean, this this is look. I'm an engineer by training. I was, I think, 23 years old. That I happened to be able to watch some some surgeries in grad school, and I was following these surgeons around, and I got to see surgical bleeding for the very first time. So after passing out a couple of times, <laughs> and then I sort of came back in and said, "Okay, let's do this." We um, realized that there was a very good need. We have surgical robotics doing all this advanced stuff in the are today, but we're still doing things around that operating room that, that are very archaic. We are estimating how much blood a patient loses, and that's been the standard of care since really the dawn of medicine. I know there's some surgeons the audience, so we developed a computer vision machine learning technology. Essentially, we take scans of surgical sponges and canisters intraoperatively, and we have a pipeline of algorithms that under a second onboard that iOS device, it's an iPhone or an iPad, we can assess the hemoglobin that that patient's lost. And to run a long story short, we thought it would take six months uh, quick and easy, you know, 510K. It ended up being seven years, seven FDA clearances, three lungs <laughs> and over approval, 30, you know, papers vacuum the technology its validity. Uh, and we were able to scale it into really a business where we are selling software as a service that uses AI to help avert these hemorrhages uh, to recognize hemorrhage faster we're recognizing the
6: need for transfusion. It's incredible technology, and and more importantly, the impact it's having on saving lives, uh, especially in in, uh, childbirth, is is so important to our mission. So thanks, Sid, for all your leadership and impact.
0: All right, this will be my last intrusion. I'd like to uh, introduce Dave Lively. He is Senior Vice President of Product Management at Viserra, previously at Viserra. Now it's part of Striker. A uh, huge acquisition that uh, we had featured on uh, the Striker Talks podcast a bit ago. Uh, in this clip, Dave will pick up on uh, on Spencer's uh, opening question about uh, interesting trends in technology. And then we're just going to bleed right into the, uh, into the conversation. Now that you know all the players, you don't need to have me uh, continuing to interrupt. So uh, let's hear from Dave Lively, Senior Vice President of Product Management at Vocera. And then we'll hear the rest of the striker panel.
6: Uh, Dave, how about in your world, a little bit on the tech trends, also maybe show off. He's wearing a pair of collector's items. I don't know if anybody notices socks, but those say vocera. So those are our collector's items now after we acquire a company.
4: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> First, I'm going to something that was new to me, which is... a. Uh, Fast and easy FDA 510K clearance. I don't think I've ever, <laughs> ever heard that one before. So I'm going to have to keep that one in mind and, and, and learn how it was fast and easy. But I, I, I want to keep, keep going a little bit more on what you said, which is increasingly every device and system in the hospital and healthcare in general is getting smart and getting connected. They're all gathering some form of data, and they're all sending that data to some. and and presumably it's someone on the care team that ultimately needs that you don't need a smart connected device just to sit there and gather data and do nothing that data needs to get to someone and as that data increasingly goes somewhere it needs to get to typically one of the nurses I mean, it used to be in a hospital room that the nurse would walk into a room and the nurse would notice that something was off with the patient or different and the nurse would kick off a particular workflow whether it was getting other members of the care team involved or taking vitals and taking measurements today Technology is is doing that. The bed can sense if the center of gravity is off and you might be about to get out of bed and you're a high-fall risk patient. The bed will know uh, if you're at risk uh, of getting uh, pressure injuries because you haven't been turned or rotated for so long. The patient monitors can detect instantly a drop in uh, vitals. Multiple systems pulled together can detect when there might be an increased risk of sepsis. And so all of this is now being generated by increasingly smart and connected devices. But again, all these this goes go back to, to somebody. And the last thing that we can afford to do, especially today, with staff shortages as they are, is bombard the nurse with all of this at once. Because cognitive overload is a, a huge thing. This is where we're starting to leverage machine learning and AI, not from a computer vision let's look at something, but from a how do I look at these patterns that are going off uh, right now how do I detect if one particular nurse might be in a flood state because he's getting interrupted by too many things all at once and might be missing something? How do we help spread that load and bring in other people from the care team? How do we help capture that data for later to be able to analysis? How do we help to spot these trends these patterns that ultimately improve the patient outcome, but they do that by making life better for the care team, by making life better for the nurse. If you can reduce the cognitive load on that nurse, ultimately they can spend more time with their patients, more time with their patients, being better outcomes for the patients. Outstanding,
6: Dave, and maybe at a high level, just a remark on Vocera and the core technology set,
4: which you somewhat explained, but maybe a use case. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, key ones. The one I kind of talked about is, think of it as a a giant rules engine where you've got all this data uh, coming in from all these systems, Uh, and we'll take a look at this data. If this uh, patient alarm comes in, then figure out who to send it to. Maybe the role that I need to send it to is the primary nurse, but if the primary nurse is it do not disturb because maybe she's giving medication to another patient? Again, you don't want to bombard that nurse with an alarm while she's in the middle of doing something that can't be interrupted, and we'll automatically escalate it to somebody else. Or if it's a bed exit and we're integrated with a real time location system in the hospital, then we don't need to send it to every nurse on the floor, we can send it to just those that are closest on the floor. So, again, reduce the burden on the people who can't act on it in the moment and make sure it gets to the people who can. So that's sort of one key piece. And the other key piece, I'll actually talk about one of my, uh, uh, maybe later a little bit, which is some of the voice recognition uh, uh, stuff. We'll, so I don't want to monopolize yeah, that. No, it's uh, good. I'm yeah, the audience is waiting now for your big review on uh, <laughs> on
6: voice uh, annotation and, and some of the work you have. Uh, so all of you have been part of breakthrough technology and really where it's disrupted a market. We talked about disruption, Robert. Maybe I'll start with Robert and Sid if there's other remarks to share. But Robert, maybe talk to us a little bit about how you've seen this and even your vision for the future as you think about, you know, breakthrough technologies? Yeah, it's an interesting,
7: it's, it's an interesting question because of where we are in the point of time. Um, for those of you that are familiar with the implant space, or the spinal implant trauma plates, whether it's, uh, soft tissue anchors, rotator cuff shoulders, um, there's so many different things. The, the next remarkable improvement is going to be getting closer to personalized medicine, individualized medicine. And it's not necessarily about the implant design as much as it is one implant goes in a specific patient. And then where does that implant go in that specific patient to give that patient back mobility if it's a joint replacement and quality of life? And when you look at a lot of these technologies, these technologies that get into this individualized medicine, um, the one that's probably made the most uh, remarkable headlines in the last five years is robotics, soft tissue and hard tissue robotics. But as we focus on hard tissue robotics, it's very different from soft tissue robotics. Robotics has transformed an industry in the shortest amount of time that I can recall. And in fact, robotics has transformed so much. We're sitting here today and we have seen improved outcomes, measurable improved outcomes. We have seen cost benefit. We have seen patient satisfaction increases in registries around the world, and that's due to technology. But the technology by itself in a robot as I often say, Striker, we're not a robotic company. The robot's actually the, the instrument, if you will, It's part of the procedure. It's still an implant company. But now that robot only works with information, digital healthcare data, planning, and other things that feed that robot. So the purpose of the robot is to give you more accuracy and precision for an individual patient, and to be able to execute a target, make healthcare safer, make it more consistent. Now all robots are not the same, and we could have a long discussion on that. But let's just assume, Mako's at the top of the house. And if you look, those are at- fight words, Robert. There was a whole floor filled with robots down there, you mean to check out. Okay, make a robot at the top of the house, regardless. So if you take a look at it, think of the data, think of now the uh, uh, operative procedure. You're starting off with a patient's CT scan, digital data. You're segmenting them with three-dimensional model, accurately, three-dimensional data. You're taking virtual computer models to strike implants and superimposing that on that individual's bones to restore their anatomy, get accurate placement to restore their joint line to allow mobility. Now you have a digital plan, potentially weeks before surgery. Now that's an individualized plan. That plan gets loaded that on the enabling technology of the robot that's in the operating room. And a surgeon then can fine tune that plan while assessing the motion of the patient and can then lock in that plan. And then with accuracy and precision, the robot guides guides the cuts to not only execute what's needed to receive the implant, but also provide haptic boundaries for soft tissue protection. So the robot itself takes the digital plan and executes the digital plan, robotic-assisted surgery, and provides soft tissue safety with haptic boundaries so cutting instruments can't nick arteries, nerves, and muscles, and a patient feels better. You should think of that robot, though, as a digital powerhouse. The amount of data it could collect, think about this time of the procedure. On that specific patient, where'd you start off with the plan, and where'd you finalize the plan, and why? And then the robot can port out the final three-dimensional placement of the implant. Not 2D films where you have to guess. Three-dimensional models of the final placement. What's that going to do for us? It's going to feed our data machine, machine learning, and artificial intelligence to get us into automated planning for that patient based on comorbidities, anatomic, extent of the arthritic condition. These are all fascinating things. So now, you keep the digital power and the capability, but we need a device to be able to execute that plan. It's the combination
6: of the two that we believe work for government. Great, thanks, Robert. Uh, exciting, exciting stuff for the world of orthopedics. Uh, Sid, how about your world? Breakthrough right technologies. Yeah.
8: No, it's a, it's it's fascinating hearing Robert talk about robotics because I like to think about it as a, as a model for other areas, you know, outside of uh, orthopedics. So, from our world, let's talk about blood management and, and hemorrhage. Um, you know, it's ultimately the AI is really cool, right? The the digital, the edge sensor, the iPhone—it's really great. But ultimately. I think what gets on lot is the synchronization of care when you take this kind of technology and you implement it within a protocol in the health system and related to that what we're excited about is the synergies that we're getting just, just by being a part of a, a larger set of devices um, so Here's the idea, right? Uh, women in childbirth are bleeding copious uh, amounts. Hemorrhage is a major patient safety in the U.S., and the maternal mortality rates in the U.S. have risen, and this is, a, is really a public health issue. Uh, so, although we started in blood management uh, with the Gauss technology, we really found. Uh, significant immediate need was in maternal health, and so by by accurately assessing bleeding in real time, we're able to now recognize hemorrhages more accurately. And more quickly, so that we can intervene with established protocols that we've had, again, since the dawn of medicine to treat VA. We just need to know when to activate this protocol. But what's interesting is now we're taking this device, we're pairing it up with these other products in our portfolio at Stryker ST. We have the surge account system, which is a safety system to ensure that we don't leave sponges behind in patients. We have the Neptune system, which is really a powerhouse in and of itself. It's a blood evacuation and smoke evacuation system that's being used in a lot of these procedures. So when you start pairing these devices together, you start getting them to talk to each other, a ton of value starts to be unlocked. It fits more easily in the workflow. Uh, These devices can now communicate and share data amongst each other. You can pull data off of multiple devices, send them to the cloud. Like Robert's talking about in robotics, you can start to learn trends. What if you could map out the bleeding profile of patients with certain comorbidities over time? This is data we could never Visualized previously because we just couldn't measure it. So now you have like a flight tracker or a growth curve. You can sort of map what's normal. You can start to detect what's abnormal. And then with our friends of Ocera, you can send these alerts to the right person at the right time and synchronize care so that you can spot these anomalies to bleeding and intervene in a more real-time fashion. And that's really what it's all about. It's intervening at the right time, with the right provider, with the right tools, at the right part of the protocol. Is this a stage one, two, or three hemorrhage? What are the tools and devices I need to intervene as a physician? That's going to be unlocked more and more as you start putting it in different
6: um, well, I'm glad Sid you're sitting next to Dave you, you two can figure that out here and uh, maybe after we wrap up so the next questions for Tracy and Dave uh, obviously there's a heightened focus on digital and med tech and I'd be curious your thoughts uh, maybe a little bit of the challenge behind that and where are some of the opportunities as well so Tracy maybe if you start on the okay <clears throat>
1: Um, so I'll take it a little bit different, uh, away from tech for a minute. And I think one of the biggest opportunities in this is around uh, customer experience. And b- being a customer experience professional for the last eight years, um, let me just highlight why that's important for, for a minute and give some background there. Um, and, I, and I do view digital and tech as being major enablers. For experience um, just by way of background you know we're living in what's called the age of the customer and Forrester research t- termed that about 12 plus years ago and that started in retail and that's went through every industry it's now affecting this industry uh, and trends trans- uh, transitioning into this industry in a major way And what's happening is people are bringing their experiences, you're doing it as well, from home to work. And it's like, if I can click this at home, why can't I I do that at work, right? And you're expecting that from your vendors at work and you just want brainless transactions, right? And so you want everything the same way at home as you do at work. And we have not been able to solve that or crack that at work. But that is the expectation. It has drastically changed experience is now a top purchasing criteria almost at the same level as the product or service itself. So that is a huge challenge for companies. Um, now CX customer experience has now evolved into what we call the business of experience so we have to think about customers, our consumers our agents, our ecosystem of customers, how we design the product. So a lot of what you were just talking about said, design the product, the brand experience, our employees, their experience, and the customer. So it's all this integrated... It's all integrated now. It's a huge burden for us. Um, But we're competing against all of those things. It's not just the product. So I share all of that with you uh, because in digital, you cannot separate experience from digital. And so, for example, We can sit up here and create all of these great products for our customers and create great data. And when we go to present it to our customers, if it's hard to digest or it's hard to interpret, it's not a gift for them. It's more work. And so this is where digital, there's a lot of adoption challenges in digital. So again, we can't separate experience from digital and that has to be part of the experience. And I know Dave, we were talking about, said we were talking about that. So that is my sermon on the map. That has to be a big part of how we start to design and think for our customers in the future. Otherwise, we'll have adoption challenges. But they I'd love your opinion. You know, on that.
4: I know we've thought about that a lot. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, Spencer, you asked breakthroughs in, in, in digital, and, and I think that's an interesting concept to think about because, you know, this whole consumerization of IT, you know, uh, I can better track where my food delivery is and how many blocks away and when I'm going to get it than I have any idea about my journey in healthcare yeah. r- right now. And so... You know, the experiences that we get at home, on our phones, are just completely different than the experience that we have as professionals at work. And unfortunately for healthcare, healthcare is even further behind, in uh, some of those uh, trends and, and technology spaces, than a lot of other uh, industries, but that's that's the expectation now. The expectation is that the same thing that I can do with my portable devices at home, the same way I can pull this up, and I have access to any information that I need, pretty much anywhere in the world, at my fingertips. I mean, all of us here, all of us in the room, remember, like before these guys. Yeah. But my daughter, my daughter is a freshman getting a nursing degree uh, right now, and she's. Sort of at that cusp of the age where she's grown up knowing nothing different than having an iPhone and instant access to streaming content, information, connectivity, all of her friends, anyone, uh, all the time. And that's impacting technology in a significant way. And all of us in technology, again, I'm sort of uh, newer to healthcare, only three years in, in healthcare IT, but we need to remember especially with technology geeks like me. Just because you can do it with technology doesn't necessarily mean you should do it with technology. And it gets back to that experience. And and I'm constantly reminded of this as we work with nurses that are out there on the the front lines because they have so much hitting them all day, every day. They're so overwhelmed, they're so burdened. Uh, And if we don't get technology right, then technology just makes that even worse yeah, for them. Uh, and and we have to make sure that as we're rolling out newer technologies, that we're doing it not so that they can do one more thing, because they don't need to do one more thing. They're already hugely productive individuals. We need to build technology to take things off of their place, to make it easier for them to get back to what they're going to school in the first place to do, which is to spend time caring for their, their patients and that sort of you know consumerization of IT, getting that same level of experience, the same level of easiness. If it works this way on my phone at home, if I don't the same way on my phone at work, because that's how my muscle memory is set up to do, and I can't fundamentally have to learn a brand new system. If I can talk to Alexa at home and say, "Alexa, add milk to the shopping list," and it's just that easy to be able to do things with my voice, because my hands are cooking or making stuff and and I can talk to technology and do that, we need to provide that same voice experience to healthcare because healthcare is one of those hands-on professions. I'm gloved up, I'm probably masked up, my hands are on a patient, I may be working on a bleed or an operation. I need to be able to have that same voice experience in technology to either get access to information or to tell the computers and systems to do something, or to uh, call, uh, ask for help, other things, I need to be able to do that in just my voice, not my hands, because my hands are busy at the moment.
6: Yeah, outstanding examples to share and sort of the challenge of thinking both on the user experience and all this different technology we can leverage, which which sort of leads into the diverse group that's in this room, that's at this meeting. Uh, Tell us a little bit about where collaboration is in this journey. More important than ever, how does it stack up to the you know 10 years ago in med tech, uh, but some more thoughts on collaboration for the team?
7: For me. Any of you? I, um, I would tell you that I think at this point, for us to achieve where we need to achieve, uh, collaboration is a must. If you think of the differentiation of Asperica, right now, you may not be aware, but we have 85 different types of devices, digital solutions that have the capability to collect patient data, 85. Imagine if those all 85 were connected. You know, Stryker's one of the only companies in the world that can outfit a whole operating room. We can actually have the majority of the back of an ambulance. Think of the data that could be gathered at the site of an event think of the hospital beds we have deployed all over if you unfortunately were in a hospital you probably you might be on a striker bed imagine if those became digital hubs and now we look at the whole continuum of care continuum of care has a lot to do with a lot of different data and a lot of different data sets well when you have a company like Stryker, there's a differentiator there with that equipment right we can execute on digital data and collect but that means multi-divisions. You have to collaborate across a very large company. We talked about agility, we talked about the need to move fast, we talked about the need to reach. Not necessarily natural collaborators, are we? And transformation is tough. So we formed this entity um, that I'm proud to be part of called Digital Robotics and the Tech, which actually extends the whole enterprise. So we have different nine different divisions. We have 22 different business units. This is the glue. Everyone doesn't need to come up with product security protocols. Everyone doesn't need to figure out 5G. Everyone doesn't need to figure out connectivity. Everybody needs to figure out the BAA and what the format of that should be with an academic institution. So now for us to enable them to fast to enable collaboration has got to be a winner. There's so much differentiating technologies at Striker. By themselves, though, they may not come together fast enough. Now we have a vehicle to put it all together, which means we'll get more data across the whole continuum of care, which means we'll be able to collect that data, query that data, data intelligence, clinical insights, artificial intelligence, and those algorithms I created that get put on software then further goes back into software upgrades on our equipment that we have deployed around the world. So exciting times. how collaboration, we won't get there. But Striker, we're in, this, we're in this position right now to see the future and we know collaboration is key to success.
6: How about pushing it just beyond even Striker? What are the thoughts of collaboration in the marketplace with our, our customers, with other partners uh, that might have other technology? How important is that now? I, I don't think we
1: have a choice Uh,
6: I think the way that um, the world
1: is changing, technology is changing, customers are changing, competition is changing. If we don't have an ecosystem among ourselves, we can't, I I personally know, I cannot keep up with those changes. And, And more than ever in my career, I have to rely on an ecosystem of customers, partners to stay even at the level or a little bit ahead of what is happening in our space, it's just too fast. I don't know what you think, Senator Day, but it's it, you have to. Totally, agree yeah, Make make two points. You know, the first is
8: going back to UX and UI. You know, customers having you know the same digital experience in both areas. We've you know historically collaborated with companies like Apple uh, because of some of that advance that they bring. That's financed by a trillion dollar you know consumer market. I think most folks in this room probably have an iPhone on them right now, and the nurses use iPhones in their personal lives. And so we actually went and put our app on an iPhone, and we collaborated with. Apple along the way is we got to understand how to better use their ecosystem of, of software uh, products. And that's not part of what we're doing within Striker, But the other piece I'd say is you know, something in Stryker's motto that always stuck with me, is together with our customers we're gonna make healthcare better. And I'm seeing that every day now being part of Striker, we are actually involving so many of our own customers in the design, the development, the thought process uh, of, of every digital and physical you know, product we build. We get a first-hand view of that. And the, the access by the way, is a small startup guy that's just look like, awesome because you get so much more access with such a, such a large group. Um, but that focus on the customer that is still being driven within our decentralized model every business unit has a very very sort of concerted effort uh, to, to get feedback and insights from our specific customers that's a real big feather in each, each of we use caps and, and it's a real superpower I think so that's a form of collaboration um, similar to these outside sort of uh, platform providers. I think it's just collaboration with our own customers that's uh, that's that's truly
4: meaningful. I'll go even one step further from an, an ecosystem perspective uh, and talk about even collaboration with the competitors. Uh, and I know that may be too hot at to to say, but. You know, uh, a little part of me you know, grew up in the open source uh, world. The open source world of, of software is all about collaboration and everyone shares and everyone shares to make everything better uh, and made the best company win from an execution perspective. But you have to open up and share because when you open up your APIs to have access into your systems or access into your data, you know, you can have the most innovative people in the world at your company, you're still not going to think of everything. There's still going to be another customer, another partner, somebody else out there that's thinking of some way to innovate on top of what you've built, and it brings everyone up to the next level when the entire ecosystem is is working together, and there's no more important place than to make sure that we're sharing that healthcare data than in healthcare because if my data is locked in one silo with the EMS and it doesn't get to the emergency room and that's in a different silo because it's with a one vendor that it doesn't make it to the OR which is in a different silo than to my recovery because they use a different vendor's information, then shame on the industry for not enabling all of that to, to connect because that's the power of helping me as a patient through the journey is when my data can flow through all of the systems so that the care can become better across all of the systems.
1: And Dave, you know, interestingly enough, regulations and interoperability may force us to go there, like as an industry, right? So it's a great point.
6: All right. So, a real quick question, one that you haven't been prepped for. Uh, wow. All this you discussed so far, driving it ahead in an organization like ours, easy medium, super hard, sort of hard, just you're off the cuff.
7: <clears throat> the desire the desire is there, the methodology to actually get it done is tough.
6: Yep. it's tough. Tracy?
1: This is my third go around. I think Striker is the best company that I've worked for Good. with the best customers.
6: You have to say that,
1: yep. No, I, I don't have to say that. <laughs> but I think, um, I think we just have unbelievable desire and uh, to win. So I, but it's always tough. Like anytime you do any large-scale transformation, it's it's always tough because it's easy to it's easier to sit here than than run. That's always easier for people. People right. are smart, right? But it's it's this is the easiest one for me so far. Good,
4: yeah. good.
1: Yeah, this is a great question because you
8: know I'm as an individual, I'm nine months into an integration post acquisition. So uh, I'd say absolutely agree that you know the the uh, challenges of, of integration, the challenges and new ways of thinking, that all comes with the territory. And these are large organizations. You're gonna see this in any organization. One thing that's really unique about Striker is, and it's I think it's part of our motto, is, is how driven everybody. Is. Is there has not been one person and I've probably encountered at least a tenth of the 40,000 uh, plus, plus employees in our company there's not one person that isn't driven when they show up to work and you see that through the through organization you see that in project teams, you see that at the leadership and there's some visionary leadership in this company and i think what's really intriguing is how you know there's folks there's change agents within this company that are helping drive digital they're helping drive these new financial technologies one of the things striker is really incredible i'm biased here by the way so you know discounted uh, is it's got an incredible M&A engine and emanate has been just a core competency of striker and they execute it like no other that i've seen before and that is a big part of collaboration and change is these inorganic moves that the company makes um, that are very strategic. It's big, but these moves are deliberate and they're sure going to happen. So it's a company that you really feel like you're part of a small company. And that's just one small company back. So.
4: Dave? <clears throat> Disruption's hard. It, it, it is. I've been part of big companies in the past and I have, I have a joke that uh, at big companies sometimes uh, you know if you require a small company or you're trying to, to disrupt Internally at that, that big company, the big company has antibodies that will rise up to try to crush you, just like the, the human. When there's a foreign object in there, the antibodies rise up to try to, to destroy it and repel the in, invaders. But you have to persist. It's hard, but it is absolutely worth it. And that's the thing I love about working in this industry. And I love no vaccine it. jokes out there, anyone? <laughs> the right time for that. Keep going. All right, good need to go there. But one of the reasons I done working at, at at Stryker and and, and, Bocera, and the cultures are so aligned is that as sin said the focus on the mission and the passion to use technology to help make healthcare better that's what gets us up every day in the morning, cranking through our days, cranking through our, our weeks, because as hard as it is, it is yeah. so hard. Yeah.
6: Super. Well, maybe I'll, I'll open it up to the audience if there are any questions. Uh, we, we're happy to take anything. We Two comments, I'd like to share one on questions. We always try to make sure our employees all over the world and customers are able to ask questions of us just to keep a culture where people feel like they can connect and really ask us anything that's going on and we'll try to give our, our best insights the second as you think about a question to ask is to you know recognize the talent probably for my chair what I've I've seen over the, the long tenure at striker is how we also have to really be intentional about the skills and the capabilities of our employee of tomorrow. And obviously it's a different talk track than it was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, And so thinking about that, the specialized talents that we need of how people think, uh, how they interact, this collaboration spirit that's needed, it's so important. And they exemplify this and we're so excited to have you all at Stryker. So, so thank you. So are there any questions you can raise your hand if uh, we're happy to take any, maybe you here, and then we'll go front go ahead
4: sure uh, Howard Lurie from exponent uh, so my question is to what extent do you involve human factors in the work you're doing obviously you know you're trying to transform the way you deliver care and uh, I'm just curious you know how high priority is that what are the ways you're implementing that? So I'll, I'll go ahead and start. We don't write a single line of code until we've talked with doctors and, and nurses to get the experience right. And so we focus uh, a lot on user-centered design, which is as soon as we maybe observed a problem or heard about a challenge from nurses uh, and, and doctors, we'll come back immediately with with mockups. Does this address it? Does this address it? And we'll go through multiple iterations uh, around the design of a particular piece of software or a screen or a voice user interface to make sure that it's solving the problem uh, that the nurses and the, and the doctors are, are having. Once we get that right, you can do a lot with just mockups and, and, and just design then we'll start writing the code. And then even after we read the code, now test it again, test it again, test it again. It's, it's sort of that, that human uh, factor process. It has to start at the absolute beginning.
8: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes make sense. For, for our application, it was, uh, there was a lot of that just culturally in tech, uh, to be sure, and, and you know, focus on UI UX UX is, is paramount. Uh, a lot of iteration one of the interesting things with our, our product was we're literally asking nurses in the middle of an OR to hold a bloody sponge up to an iPad uh, and to open it up and to hold it up to the iPad. So just think about that for a second. That's, there's a million things going on. It's, it's tough to do. So what we did is not only worked through that iterative cycle, we had to build in formalized human factors testing as part of our pathway with FDA. And you know, the agency is starting to focus more and more and more on human factors. You're seeing that on a lot of these newer digital health technologies Even during the pandemic through the EUA process. Um, human factors, you know, with those at-home COVID test kits, really big deal uh, focusing on human factors. So we standardize and protocolize a lot of that um, and it's built into every release cycle. So even if we're pushing, you know, a few lines of code, a small bug fix, uh, there's sort of this question: Do we, do we, you know, this qualify for a concerted test with, say, 20 nurses um, to to validate uh, the work we've done? It's so, a great question.
7: Human factors is part of actually all now, striker efforts going forward. In fact, we've created panels of the human factors. Um, you know, in the old days would be we had physicians coming to one cadaver lab when we were done. Now, on our enabling tech, whether it's software, things like that, workflow matters, efficiency matters, time, shortening the learning curve, what training cycle needs to be, what needs to be included in certification. So let's just take a new robotic software for a new application. We get nurses involved. We've built our uh, simulation labs. We um, just built one in our new facility in Fort Lauderdale, where we monitor behind glass. We have physicians. Uh, we have people in central supply that do cleaning of instruments and how to put things back. We're labeling everything. So human factors and then usability is now included in all regulatory filings around the world. All
0: right, Work Lord, now is the time for us to uh, tell folks where to find us on social media. I'm on
2: LinkedIn. You can find me, Chris Newmarker,
0: just like a new marker. Always happy to chat. And you are both on Twitter and LinkedIn, as am I. I am on Twitter at MedTechTom on LinkedIn, Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I. When you do uh, connect with us, make sure you uh, you tag like, us,
2: follow, subscribe.
0: That's right, like, follow, subscribe. I was going to ask you to share this podcast episode on those social media channels, but yes, primarily you should like, follow, and subscribe to uh, the Device Talks.
2: Doesn't sound as good when I do that. Like, follow, subscribe, share.
0: You don't have to touch it. You're brilliant. Leave That's it the way okay. it is. Okay. I'll I'll take care of sharing. I'm 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 a you, sharing you'll individual. Sh-
2: <laughs> you'll do the sharing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if you like follow subscribe the device talks uh, podcast network you'll receive this podcast striker talks podcast you'll get the intuitive talks podcast we have a new one coming out in a couple of weeks uh so uh, you'll get lots of podcasts coming your way so connect to that and you can also subscribe to the medtronic talks podcast on its own channel so make sure you don't miss those we'll have a new episode of the medtronic talks podcast coming out next week so
2: all right great job chris newmarker always good man enjoy the summer
0: Thanks to everyone for for joining us. Tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast waiting for you.